Let me, yeah, just start over. We're good. <laughs> At the start. Okay. So, Bill has talked to, about this a couple times in uh, Bible studies, and we've, we've kind of like, uh, I don't want to say, uh, passed over it, but we, we've talked about it just in small fragments, and why I, why I wanted to bring it up in my Bible studies, because I think it's important, right? The law and commandments of God, so... I guess something that I realized while I was reading through the Bible and through our Bible studies is that there's laws and traditions in the Old Testament and there's commandments, right? And I don't have the exact definition for it, but I guess commandments could be defined as God's direct law that he's given people. So he's, he's the law giver himself, right? Mm-hmm. And I already touched upon the example of... Uh, Adam and Eve in the in the tree of knowledge, right? He, he told them, "You're not going to do this." That's that's a commandment. But there's also things that you know. I have a coworker at work who's a Messianic Jew, mm-hmm. and uh, she's very traditional in a lot of different ways. And what she likes to do is take the Bible and the Old Testament and read it very literally, right? And we've talked about this in the past. So I guess my point is, is that, you know, we should take the Bible literally, but I guess that there's some laws that, you know, and laws that are more portrayed into tradition. So... One of the verses that I found was in Exodus, which is where a lot of the things that she came up with. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I picked this one out because it was just crazy to me. (laughs) But uh, it says, Exodus 23, 19, you are not to boil a young goat in the milk of its mother. Mm -hmm. So that seems crazy to me, but it's, it's a law, technically, I guess you could say. Can you read it again? Yeah, it says you are not to boil a young goat in the milk of its mother. So, and there, and there's see for for them to say that. There's there's got to be a reason. I mm-hmm. there, there there was it something that heathens did, and they did it for uh, for some obscure reason that we don't know. Who who knows? There probably is. Yeah. You know, so, so that's probably although it sounds so foreign to us. There was probably some kind of thing going on culturally in the world that that was satanic or whatever, pagan for sure, that that they would put that in there like that. Yeah. You know, it, it would take a lot of it would take a lot of research on my part to to find it. I'm sure you can though. I'm sure there's there's a reason behind it. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, right before that, in Exodus, it talks about the uh, three feasts. And so what it says in there and what I wanted to highlight in this verse is the word command. So here it is. So you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread for seven days and you are to eat unleavened bread as I commanded you. Right? So I think that's where the different difference lies. right? And mm-hmm. why I wanted to bring it to all of our attention is because, I guess for me, how do we differentiate between the two? Like what we should follow, what we should not. 
that's that's kind of where I'm at at crossroads with this. Well, yeah, yeah, and you know, like the command for the feast. He also, in that command, he, he used a word, I don't know what the Hebrew word is, but the translated word is, is um, perpetual, yeah. which means everlasting. You will always do it. Even though Jesus became the Passover, he was the Passover lamb. He fulfilled the Passover. But the Lord said, you will still celebrate that feast perpetually. So to me, what that says is, even though he became the Passover lamb, there's still one, he still wants us to have a celebration of that fact. There's some other things that are, that are attached with that feast that he wants us to continually participate into eternity. When he says perpetual, there, that's one of those things that doesn't give you any wiggle room. You know, you can say, you can say, well, he fulfilled, the church says, well, he fulfilled it. That's why we only celebrate Easter. No, the reason why you celebrate Easter is because you brought the pagan Esther holiday into this, and, that's what, and it was only celebrated for one or two days. The Feast of Passover was a seven, eight-day feast. Had nothing to do with with that. That's why you do it. So, so, so don't sit there and and excuse it because you say Jesus fulfilled the Passover. Let's go back and see what it says. The Lord says this is will be done perpetually. Well, why was it done perpetually? That's the question you begin to ask. Well, one of the reasons is it's a celebration of Jesus Christ. Of course, he became the Passover Lamb. That is something that needs to be worshipped and acknowledged. And evidently, it's at a certain time every year that he wants to do that. Those three feasts that he talked about perpetual, one of, the, one of the criteria was that is all males will come together. In other words, this is these three times a year the nation comes together. We celebrate as a whole. You, you drop everything in your life and your focus becomes specifically on Christ as a community for those three times a year. When two or three are in my presence, I am there with you. So you get a whole nation coming together worshiping Jesus Christ. He might just come and show up and do some magnificent things during those times. He might actually come and show up and give you direction for the next few months. I mean, it's pretty common sense the way God put those things together. So the question is not whether we should do it or not. It's why we're not. Because he says we're doing it forever. Um, he doesn't say that about a lot of the other laws that were given. He doesn't say that it's a perpetual thing. As a matter of fact, Jesus comes along later and says, hey, I fulfilled that. This, we were just talking earlier about the Sabbath. The Sabbath was celebrated on Saturday. Jesus come back and he says, I am the Sabbath. And that's what the church excuses for not worshiping on Saturday. Again, Why? Is the church, why did they deviate? You have the, this chosen people that are God's people recognized in the Old Testament. Okay, I completely understand Jesus fulfilled a ton of those things. They were all prophetic of those kind of things. And 
I am quite fine with worshiping the Lord on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, whenever, because it says he is the Sabbath. The question is, why do you, as the church, the modern-day church, Israel was the church in the Old Testament, modern-day church is now, why did we intentionally deviate going to worship God from the day that he had said originally to a Sunday? That's the question. And if the answer is, when you really dig deep and you find out that it probably has some pagan roots, even Sunday, I kind of want to cut myself off from those kind of things. Not that God can't meet me on Sunday, and he does. But why am I embracing a paganism over a godly instituted thing? Why? That's the question. Um, boiling, boiling the kid in the mother's milk, all those kind of things. Like I said, that probably had, had some significant reason for that or he wouldn't have brought that in. Um, culturally, we don't do that at all anymore, so it's probably not that big a deal. Um, just like we were talking about earlier, the, the pig. I can eat a pork chop. I like a pork chop. But in the Old Testament, that was an unclean animal. And even Paul says, hey, we got a lot of new converts coming into Christianity that are Jews. And they've lived their whole life not eating pig. And if they're a brand new Christian, I brought them, brought them over and I put pork chops on the grill. That probably wasn't real smart. Right? I, I, I mean, it, there's a lot of those traditions that we've done our whole life. You know, why throw that into somebody's face? They're brand new Christians. Let's, let's work through this a little bit. But then on the other hand, a pig is an unclean animal. It doesn't sweat. It retains all the poisons that, that, that clean animals don't do. They eat everything. It's proven that your cholesterol will go off the charts if you eat a lot of pork and all that. So if I just adhere to the Old Testament way of not eating unclean animals, would I be better off? Guarantee you I'd be better off. Doesn't mean I'm going to go to hell if I don't, but I would probably be better off. So although we look at those things as, oh, that was all ritualistic crap, well, there were some pretty good reasons for most of it. So it doesn't hurt that if you, you adhere to them, as long as you don't do it for the, for the reason of just tradition. You know, that, those laws were all instituted with, with prophecy attached to them. Peter says these, and the, and the writer of Hebrews says, all those things were shadows of the true meaning, basically. All the temple items, all those things were prophetic shadows of Jesus Christ in the end time. It doesn't mean, you, you know, it, they got on Jesus about adultery. Is it okay to, to divorce? And he goes, yeah, you guys, you guys did this, be, and we said it was okay for adultery. But I'm telling you, you want, you want to talk about the law, and adultery is your only avenue for divorce, but I'm telling you, if you look on another woman in lust, you've committed adultery. As soon as he said that, the crowd was silenced, because they came for him to nitpick the law. And he said, Really, the law was given for your transgressions, but if you really want to know the truth, 
If you really want to start talking about the law, every time you've looked on a woman in lust, you've committed adultery. So he says, if you want to hold on to the law, so grand as you are, I'll show you how you've all violated it and you do it continually. So basically he's saying, yeah, you worship the law. You don't even understand the reason for it. You don't even under, you, you understand, you don't understand that it's because of me. What I'm about to do, die on the cross and save, and save you from your sins, that God will look upon me instead of you. That's what saves you, not these stupid laws. So, anyway, that's my take on that. Don't sweat it, babe. <laughs> no, 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 You keep going. You keep going. Well, I guess it, it brings more questions to my head than I, than more of a preaching aspect, right? That's fine. Maybe we can discuss it. So, I, when I was reading through the Bible in, in Exodus again, I found the Ten Commandments, and I actually had, had never known what the Ten Commandments were before. I studied it this week. Yeah, you I were in Sunday school with us. <laughs> I never knew, right? Right. So I guess my question would be that if if those... I know that you, you stated that the laws have some type of purpose, right? Mm-hmm. And whether, you know, the purpose is Jesus Christ, right? He fulfilled it. But with commandments like those and those specific ten... Are those supposed to be like adhered to all the time? Like what? what uh, ab- absolutely, but the, but those think of those ten commandments. You, you know, the the Lord the Lord even talked about those kind of things earlier. He, he says, "Yeah, we wrote, wrote them down, but man, if you're in tune with God, you're going to do these things anyway. You're not going to go commit murder. Yeah, you're not going to steal. You're not going to look on another man's wife. What are the ten commandments? Thou shalt not steal." You should not put other gods before me. We do that in, in modern civilization, including Christians, all day long. We put other things before God. We even put, should I dare say it, our image of God before the true God. That's part of the Ten Commandments. We, we have went away from what God really is and made him one that's comfortable to us. We say, God loves everybody. He does not. You can't give me a scripture that says he does. He has killed thousands and thousands of people at one swoop, women and children. The Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. What makes you think in your arrogance that God has somehow changed today? That he's going to let the whole world slide because of Jesus? He's going to let the whole world slide? It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You either read the book and believe it or not. And if not, I really don't even want to have a conversation with you. You're not even fit for the kingdom. If you can't embrace this book as the living word of God, you can go have your modern freaking thoughts and arguments somewhere else. When he says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, 
He is a loving God. But he doesn't love everybody. He does have wrath, and he will unleash it upon this whole earth, and we're going to see it. How can a loving God kill women and children? He took the throne from Saul because he refused to kill everything. He disobeyed a direct commandment that, that Samuel gave him from God. He said, you go to the, I don't remember if it was Amorites or who it was, but he says, their sin has come to fruition. If you looked earlier in time in the wilderness, I think Israel had a contact with him and God didn't let him annihilate him at time because their sin hadn't come to that level. So it had came to that level. So for whatever reason, that sin and that, that people had probably got so engraved all the way into their DNA. They, they had become so satanic. It could have literally been satanic. It, the Bible talks about the, the fallen angels coming into the sins of, sons of men, saying that they, that they were beautiful and they had offspring. So I don't know all the details of that, but that, that nation could have had all that in there. And God said, go Saul, kill man, woman, child, and beast. Everything. He wanted to wipe their memory from the face of the earth. Now you have to embrace that same God today. Why don't we do that? God loves me without a doubt. I know that. But I embrace him as my God. I worship him as my God. I believe his word is inspired word of God. Even when I struggle with sometimes it's mean, I embrace him. And I fear him. Over and over again, it says the beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. You have to know that you cannot fear man who can kill you. You have to fear God who can kill you and send your spirit and soul to hell. You've got to know that that's who he is. You've got to know that if he just showed up right now and, and we would all be on our face quivering because of the sin that still lingers in our bodies. Now he may speak a word. And say, stand before me. I got a word, something that you say. But because he said that word, then he would give you strength. But if he showed up right now, make no mistake. We would think we were as good as dead. Because he's pure God. He has zero sin. And he can't stand to have it in his presence. That's the God we serve. You, you got to take the totality of him. Quit whitewashing God. He wants to draw you into his presence, into his throne room. He wants to show you the kingdom. He wants to show you all his attributes. But make no mistake, there is no end rounds. You can't be arrogant enough to think that you have the answers. For crying out loud, we wouldn't even exist if it wasn't for him. We wouldn't even exist. And our lifespan of 70, 80 years is but a vapor 
in the whole thing. So if we want that eternity to understand and, and, and go off and see the things that, that he has done and things that he's going to do, we have to submit to his lordship. Plain and simple. And that's got all off track of what you were talking about. Okay. So, I guess, so if um, these laws in the Old Testament, when they were presented to Israel, it, it seems like, you know, a couple of the stories that I've read through the Bible, it seems like Israel almost failed to keep all the laws. Right? They always did. Yeah. So. It was, it was almost like, well, he said, the only reason why I'm giving you this law is because of your transgressions. Yeah. You, you got to think. All the men of God before, before they came out of Egypt. All the men of God. You had the Abrahams, the Jacobs, the Isaacs, the Noahs, the, the Enochs, the Adams. You had all of these men of God who never had the law. Why didn't they have the law? How could they exist without the law? Because Paul says, you idiots. The start of the law was the circumcision of Abraham. Basically, that was the start of it. Was it reckoned to, I, to Abraham as righteous before or after the circumcision? The circumcision came as a sign of Abraham's righteousness. Abraham didn't need the laws. He pressed into the presence of God. He let the Spirit of God be his conscience. The law came for this bunch of stiff-necked people who weren't pursuing the presence of God. So... Because of the few, he went ahead and laid the law onto them to try to get them in line. But even that big nation, how many of them, how many of all those Israel, Israelites that came out of frickin' Egypt were really sons of God? Most of them were rejected and died in the wilderness. Their children are the ones who went to Canaan. Even though they were given the law, they kept breaking the law. They, they had no part of God because they, they, that's all they focused on. Okay, we, we got, you got a pillar of fire leading you at night. You got a cloud to shade you during the day. You got water coming out of rocks. You got manna in the morning. You don't even have to get up and make your dinner. You got a Red Sea opening up, letting you walk across on dry land. You got Egyptian shoulders, uh, soldiers dying in the aftermath. And still God isn't good enough. Well, we, we need to be governed. Give them this. Give them this, Moses. Man, they're, they're wearing me out. Because of their transgressions, they had to see it in black and white to keep them halfway in line. That whole ordeal, there was only a remnant, a very small remnant of that whole nation who ever really embraced God. That's what you really got to look at. We strain at gnats too much looking at the law and all those kind of things. When, when, the, when the Lord, think about it, all those thousands of years before that, there were men of God without the law. 
because they had the presence of God in them. They, they, they had the Holy Spirit check them. They knew what's right and wrong. You know, e- Enoch walked with God. He, he is still alive, flesh and blood today in the presence of God somewhere in the other realm. Never had the Ten Commandments. Well, how did he do it without the Ten Commandments? Come on, people. We're focusing on the stupid crap. And, and, and a lot of that where he's talking about in, in, the, in the Old Testament where, where David talks about meditating on the law and those kind of things, it's not so much the written law he's talking about. It's the Word of God is what he's talking about. It's talking about those experiences that Enoch had, that Noah had. Those kind of things is what turned David on. That's what he meditated on. Those men of God. Not the written law. It's the Holy Spirit. That's, that's what it always is. And whether you're a Jew, Masonic Jew, or don't believe in Jesus Jew, whatever, your whole focus is on crap. I would much rather say, hey, before this all was given, the Abrahams and the Enochs and the Noahs, and those guys turned me on. They didn't have the law. Enoch walked with God for crying out loud. Noah built an ark for a hundred and some years because the Lord told him to. He was so in tune with God. That's what I want to know. The law didn't get them there. It was that inner spirit Wanting to connect with God's spirits, what got them there. They didn't need no law to say, do not commit murder. They knew that already. It, it's this law stuff, and really, the modern day church is the same. It's exactly the same. They they set up their little bylaws. You know, how how can how can you have new revelation? If you're a denomination, how can you even have new revelation? How can you have anything new? Because you've boxed it up right here. Because after all, this church with these laws make us different than this church. How, how is that even close to biblical? And it's not just a denomination, too. It's new life the same way. They have their, whether they have 100 new lives across the United States or not, they got one big one out here, and you go on their website, they got a little box. And it's, this is what we believe, right here. They do things to make themselves separate from everybody else. God never talks about the Baptists. He never talks about the Wesleyans. He never talks about the Charismatics. He talks about his church. And I don't care how many laws you print on paper, that doesn't make you his chosen people. Holy Spirit is the law, right? He, there you the, go. That's your guidance. As far as like, and this is just so you know, new Christian, I'm learning all this stuff, and I've, I've read through the Bible and whatnot. I just, it's, it's, it's hard for me, at least being new, to decipher what's what. So really when I'm looking to get questions to my answers, I have to turn to the Holy Spirit for them. Mm-hmm. And I have 
and I have to pray about it, things like that. And there's been many a times where Cass and I have prayed and we've gotten answers to our questions and, and our requests even. Right. Which has been amazing and fantastic and has even pushed my faith further. But I just, I, I, I get confused just where I, where I can myself push into the Holy Spirit further. What can I do to push into the Holy Spirit other than like read the Bible? I, I know this is the best um, source, the best, I guess, resource mm -hmm. to utilize because this is your way to understand God more, your, you know, things of that sort. But is there anything else that I can do? That, well, well that's, that's just it. That's, that's all of our issue. That's my issue. It doesn't matter what level you are with God, you want more. The Holy Spirit is the teacher. He, he is the one. If you believe that's the inspired word of God, when you read it, you're not reading a novel. You're not reading Harry Potter. You're reading something that, that can't be explained in the realm that we live. You can't find it through science, but there is something in those pages that when you, when you pursue it with the Holy Spirit, that it literally comes to life Absolutely. it literally can change your dna it is something totally different than just a book when it becomes just a book throw it away and go get a brand new one and start marking it up don't worry about it just do it uh, there are there are so many things that we will continually learn the closer we get for instance healing okay the Bible more than once said there is no respect, God is no respecter of persons, okay? God said, by my stripes I were healed. I go to God and say, you said, by your stripes I am healed. I demand that. Because I need to have my body working right so I can go to work and make my family a living and all those kind of things. You, you go to God that way. You don't get healed. Then there's this other humble man who understands those same scriptures, goes before God, and said, I know you've said these things, and I believe that to be true. Can you touch me? That man gets healed. God is no respecter of persons. Why? They're using the same Bible. They're using the same word of God. Why did one man get healed? The other one didn't. Because he was a because of presumption. Okay. One man went to God in a presumptuous way. Another one went humble. He revered God even though he was presenting what God said is the fact. And God has no respect to your persons. This man moved the hand of God, the other guy didn't. And you can use that as a yardstick in your own life. If God's not moving a certain way, and you know you've been reading a word, and you know that he should be, just like I've been talking about, the signs will follow, right? <laughs> I believe God, 
I've been baptized. I speak in tongues. I'm still not laying hands on the sick and getting them healed. I'm still not doing a lot of those things aren't evident with me. Is that because God's a liar? has nothing to do with that. It has something to do with me. And I've got to get to the root of why that is. Maybe I'm still leaning a little bit too much of being wanting to be the guy that's doing it. Instead of the guy humbly going before God, wanting to be humbly used because I have a love for these people that I may not even know. So those are the kind of things that, that we've got to internalize and start working on. Before this thing is all over with, I guarantee you, we will have lost every bit of our individual individualism because it's the body of Christ. When you suffer, I will suffer. When you become victorious, I'll become victorious. It's, it's a body ministry, and, and we have to lay so much of self down before we really start seeing the hand of God being moved. And, that, and that's even in our, in our own walk with God. Um, it, it, you know, it, it, sometimes it almost, it's a conundrum. I mean, you, you have to work, you have to support your family, you got to love your family. You got to make all those things happy, but it becomes so busy in your life that you forget the real source to make that happen. And that's not you, even though you have to go do those things to make it happen. You still aren't the source. The God of this universe is the source. He has a plan for you and your family that doesn't end with this vapor life that we're living of 70 years. You've got, to, you've got to understand he's investing in you for an eternal plan. And for you to fall into that eternal plan, you have to have certain things worked in your spirit that are right and pure. Or he's not going to hand it over to you because you'll squander it. That's the way you got to look at it. You've got to look at, you know, one of the things that's going to change in this Bible study, you're going to have to help me with this, is we need to have a little bit of worship involved here. We need to have a reverence towards God. We need to start focusing on not so much my walk, where I'm at with God, it's God. What do you want? What do you want from me? One of the priority things, and you will see this from cover to cover in that Bible, is he wants your worship. I, I've said it, and I'm one of the worst. Super Bowl Sunday, man. I have raised the roof. I have been to live games acting the fool, screaming and yelling. And yet I get embarrassed in a group like this to worship my God. Something's not right in me for me to ever, ever have a fear of man when it comes to worship of God. 
And I think every one of us in this whole room can say that. Not one of us could freely get up right now and raise our hands and worship God without feeling embarrassment or some kind of reluctance. But we can scream and raise hell at a football game. That's because that's the world has conditioned us. God hasn't. We, we, are, we are being moved, whether we know it, by the impulse of this age, plain and simple. Even though we proclaim to be Christians, we proclaim to stand out different than the rest of the world, we are so much more like the world than we are sons of God that it's not even funny. And that's the kind of things that we got to start realizing is that we have to live in it but we don't have to be part of it. And it's, it's an ongoing pursuit. That's, that's why this group is so good is because we can bring up those questions. We can talk about those things and we can give the straight answers, which you just can't get everywhere. You're not going to hear no canned sermon from me. It just is what it is. And just about every time I bring you guys any kind of teaching, it's because God's kicking my teeth in all week over the very issues that I talk about. So, if you... I guess I might just be speaking for myself or maybe I'm speaking for a couple other people, but something that I struggle with is throughout my normal day at work, don't want to give any excuses to it, but I'm busy and things like that. I, w- I would like for us to maybe discuss ways in which we can keep God at the forefront of our minds. Right? That's that is tough. But, yeah, I, it's really tough. It's and really I, tough. like I said, I don't give any excuses either. I go to a go to a twelve hour shift, and I deal with the the scourge of the earth, and there is always something popping off. And it is, and you go deal with it because you, you got to deal with it right now. And your mind gets so focused on the BS all day long that I, I have gone to a 12 hour shift and not thought about the Lord until I'm on my truck driving home. So that's, that's a tough one. I don't know the answer to that except. You press into the Lord in your off time every chance you get. That will help that. Yeah. Start the day. Start the day off with God. It it is, but I I have to I have left this house, been in the Bible, an hour before I left. I have prayed. I have spoken tongues all the way to work, and get there, and it's like a switch. Yeah. I'm this separate person for twelve hours. There is no mathematical answer for it. The only thing I can say is you just got to keep pressing in every chance you get. I, I think, I know that there will be a time that you get so in tune that you have transformed your life so close to the, to the Lord himself that you will be able to say, I don't do anything unless I see the Father do it. That's what Jesus said. We can get there. See, it, uh, that, that's another thing that irritates me. I, I think more than anything else is modern day church. 
is the excuse they always use for their lack of Christianity, basically, is always, yeah, but he was Jesus. That is not an excuse. He says, I go to the Father. I go because it's going to benefit you because the thing that enabled me to die on the cross and be resurrected is the Holy Spirit. I had to have the fullness of that Holy Spirit to do what I had to do on this earth. I had to have it all. It's going to benefit you greatly because I'm going to the Father. And when I go to the Father, I'm going to pour out the fullness of the Holy Spirit on you, my body. Not only are you going to do the things I did, you're going to do greater things than I did. How in God's name can you use Jesus' as an excuse when he says, you're going to do greater things than I did? How do you excuse that? Because you fail so miserably every week, you're going to say that? You fail miserably every week because you haven't pressed into the Holy Spirit and let him guide you. There is going to be a generation that's going to press in, and they are going to be just like Jesus. It says, we don't know what that will be yet. Paul says, well, I don't know what that's going to look like, but I'll know it when I see him because I'll be like him. It doesn't happen after some zap out of here rapture bull crap. It can happen right now. He has put no limitations on us. He didn't say greater things are you going to do than me once you're in heaven. He said, you're going to do that here. Heck, man, I can't even think of what greater thing I can do than he did. What does that mean? He healed the blind. He raised the dead. He cast out demons. What greater thing can I do than that? I don't know, but it's out there. He said it, and I believe it. So there's... I don't know what it is, but I'm going to pursue it. I'll probably be doing it before I realize that, what it is. But there is a people. He said, some of you aren't even going to taste death before the kingdom comes. That's what the Lord said. So in other words, there are some people who are probably going to walk right into almost a resurrected type life, even before the coming of Christ. Now, it says we won't precede the ones who have fallen away. They've paid the price. That gathering, that bringing us together, we're not going to go up before them, but it still doesn't say that there may be this group of people who might walk right into resurrected life. Heck, he's done it before. He took Enoch. He took Elijah. They're still cruising. They're, they haven't died. And that was Old Testament. They did that before Jesus. Jesus actually died and became alive. They haven't even tasted death. But I got a feeling their body will go from that dead Adam, transformed into a, the new Adam, Jesus Christ, without tasting the dirt of the ground. So, 
quit putting limitations on Christ because he, don't don't your faults and and you're falling short. Don't blame that on him being God. John says he poured himself out of all deity and became a man. If he poured himself all out, he didn't come out of the womb knowing he was Jesus. That came by revelation of the Holy Spirit. So that's no excuse. He didn't walk around as some God puppet on earth. That was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. And I believe it came on him in power at that baptism. When he came out of the water and the Holy Spirit fell upon him, the fullness of it fell upon him at that point. That's when he started his ministry. I don't believe he had the fullness of the Spirit like he had then before. Before that time. It was a whole new level from that point on. But you're not, there is no scripture that's, that you're going to convince me, show it to me, that says he knew he was God out of the womb. That's why he said, hey man, I got to go back because I got to give you the same tool that I had. The same tool. I, without a doubt, after your baptism of water, once you come out of that water, there is a transformation that starts happening in your body right then. It depends on you how far you let that, trans, that transformation go. There is, a, there is a melding that starts in your DNA of God infiltrating you. Jesus is the firstborn, it says, of many brethren. It says he is the firstborn of a new species. What Jesus is, is a new species. He is God's creation and God into a new thing. Jesus has the DNA of the first Adam, but he's also got the DNA of God. He's eternal. He's immortal. You, he, he is the new Adam. That's what we're to be. Not something different. We're going to be just like him. He is still God. Don't put words in my mouth. We still understand that he is God. We, we will understand it more then than we even do now. But what he has given us is a new race. You know, we, 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 we argue over this Israel bull crap all day long. The only race I give a crap about is his. He's the firstborn. I'm supposed to fall into that. There's going to be a point in my life where that old Adam completely dies and I'm infused with the deity of God. I will have God's DNA in my body. I will not die. I will be just like him. He will be my Lord always. But he's given me an opportunity to go into, into eternity, into the universe, if you will, as this new species that will never fail. It's like God multiplied a million times. You know, the, the, and that, that's part of the greater works he's talking about. Look at what he did as one man. Now he's poured himself out over his whole body. If we just claim that, you have a hundred thousand men of God 
with the fullness of Jesus Christ. With, the, with him giving you the authority that he had here, times 100,000, what do you think we can do to this planet? Not only do we, could we take over this planet as rulers, we will have the ability to loose, loose the curse that is on this planet. In Romans, it says the creation groans for the revealing of the sons of God because they're going to loose the curse that's on it. So the, the earth itself has a consciousness of a curse. The trees, the, the water, all these things have a consciousness, if you will, that they're under a curse. And for whatever reason, something planted into this creation by God says, once my sons of God are revealed, they're going to loose you from this thing and you're going to be what I intended you to be, like in the Garden of Eden. And more, who knows? No limitations. The only limitations is a lie from Satan. Is, is that the meaning of New Earth when it's mentioned in the Bible? Um... Don't know. I don't know, honestly. It says new heavens, new earth. I don't know if it's going to totally be burned up and redone. I don't know. Or if it's just going to be loosed from the curse. And that's going to be the new... I don't know. I can't tell you that for sure. That would just be speculation on my part. But, um, you know, he, he's done it before. You know, he flooded the earth. He said he's not going to do it that way again. So... There's, there, there will be a reset of some sort. Um, but essentially, there won't be some type of newer. Yeah, it's not going to be in this futility that it's in now. No, it's going to be totally loose. Yeah. And, and it's not going to be some floating around in heaven thing, man. He didn't put us here to govern it and then to take us to float around in space somewhere. That new earth is going to be governed. That new species is probably going to have offspring. It just won't ever have a curse of Satan on it anymore. The race will probably continue to expand into the universe. People keep looking for new life on Mars. We are the Genesis. We're the first. You say, well, you don't think God made life here? No, I don't. He made us to be like him in his image. That's what he's going to use to plant the universe. In the Old Testament, it said, don't worship the sun and the moon and the stars and all those things. They've been allotted to you. What does that mean? I don't know. I doubt that it means that, oh, Genesis is Bill's. He gets to look at that for eternity. I don't think that's what he means. I believe he's a little bit more complex than that. Science even says the universe keeps expanding. So he puts something into motion there that's a growing thing. Who knows? Eternity is a long time, fellas and women. Eternity is a long time. He's got time to surplant the whole universe with his people if he wants. And we won't need a shuttle to get there. He's proved, he proved that with Philip. Philip baptized a eunuch, comes out of the water, boom, he finds himself 20 miles away preaching the gospel. That's a pretty cool translation, man. No shuttle for that. No speed rail for that. That was a bam. 
That's cool. You know what I mean? He, that's, that's what it, it cracks me up. Scientists are the most arrogant people in the world. Why don't you just table your arrogance and concede to the fact that there's a creator up here? Think what he can show you. Think of the knowledge that you can get from him. Holy cow. Somebody who could speak something into existence out of nothing. You know, out of all their theories, they can't explain the nothing part. Yet here we are. Well, these two pieces of dust came together. Where'd they come from? They can't explain that part. But yet here we are conversing about it. You know, in our logic, well, there had to be something. It had to start somewhere in our logic. How? How did zero, zero start? There's no answer for that, period. So don't take the class. We know it happened because we're here. We're talking about it. It's real. Just conceded the fact that, yeah, this dude, uh, he, he's a little bit beyond any logic that I can even think about. And embrace it. And embrace it. And just daydream about it. Worship about the things that he's going to show you in the future. The mind-blowing things. It, just this body being able to live forever. And to be part of that is crazy but I'm not going to just go to dust man can, can you believe having, having that kind of thought process that the best you're going to get is 70 years and then you're going to go to the dirt and that's it that's your intelligence is I'm going to go to the dirt and, in 70 years and I'm done that's your contribution to, to society is 70 years at best? Man, you are so, so low level in your thinking. I don't care if you made the nuclear bomb. Nuclear. What is it? Nuclear. Nuclear. <laughs> what did he say? I don't know. <laughs> no, you're right. But the... The, the, the David meditating on the law and all those kind of things isn't so much the written letter of the law as much as it is, is the Word of God. That's what, he, that's what he's talking about. Waiting on the Lord, those kind of things, is meditation on God. That's where the release of all the new things come from. And I, I believe there's that frustration that you feel I believe is intentional. It, 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 God plants it there to keep you driving on, to keep pressing on to know him more. Sometimes it drives me absolutely crazy because it seems like I hit a ceiling. And I just, I want an answer. How do I get to the next level? How do I get there? It's, it's the most frustrating thing that I can think of at times is, is my walk with God because it seems to see me. But oftentimes, it's my reluctance to go into the, into the battle which will reveal my impurities. 
that I got to get rid of to get to that next level. We None of us want to fight. Not really. Even though we know all good comes to those who have faith in God, we, we know that he's going to work it out and we're going to be better for it. There's something in our nature, that old Adamic nature that doesn't want to go there. You know, Job is the scariest book in the Bible to me. Because he lost it all. He gained double portion. But he lost it all. And never, never gave up on the Lord. He says, well, eh, whatever. You know, they're all saying, you must have done something. He goes, maybe I did. God is still God. I give him the glory. As he's sitting there picking his boils. You know, I don't want to, you know, I don't, there ain't nothing about that story that, that I want to embrace. I don't want the Lord to tell Satan, hey, I'll take the hedge down around Bill, have at him. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't want to do that, but I still don't want to not press in either. Sometimes you just got to grin and say, okay, God, eh. reveal it. Let's get rid of this crap that you want to show me here so I can get to that next level. Oh, yeah. No, he was blessed double portion. It was, he, and, and he's a legend. He is a legend. I, but it's, it's scary sometimes. But he made us that way. He... We're comfortable, and he makes us uncomfortable, so we'll get to that next level, whatever that is. But it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a good thing, man. There are times that you just one-on-one -on -one with God, and it's unexplainable. You just know because you know, and you wouldn't trade that moment for nothing. And I've had a lot of them. It's just, you just got to keep pressing, keep pressing. Staying in that book is one of the biggest things of all, is staying in there. For whatever reason, he has chosen that as a, as a gateway into the throne. And, and losing your individuality is huge. You know, Dean and I was talking earlier, we had this guy... He was a homeless guy at, uh, at the Wesleyan Church. His name was Roger Mathis. I mentored him for a year. And man, he, he, could, he could prophesy. He could do, do all that. He just really had a heart for the Lord, I believe. So I had him come in. He, he didn't last two weeks after he got through the rescue program. Two weeks. And he was right back into the same sin he'd been in before. I haven't heard from him since. You know, what if that dude shows up at my door tomorrow and knocks on the door? What do I do? How do I approach that guy? You, you got you to gotta show him love, man. And, you know, I don't think I necessarily need to move him in now. He kind of burnt that bridge. But you got to show him love. You got you, you to gotta trust in God.
that's that's a tough thing for me. Is uh, embracing people that I don't like. <laughs> that's a tough one. It's easy to embrace people you like, but the ones who burned you and stolen from you and all that kind of crap, that's pretty tough to, to take those guys on. But you got to find a way. Because who knows? I mean, you, you know, we, we get to think of the patriarchs, how great they were and all that, but they were, a lot of them were pretty scam, scoundrels, man. If we were inter, having some kind of relationship with those guys in today's society, how would we handle them? How would you handle a Jacob? That's always, always trying to connive, you know, and do all those kind of things. Yeah, here, here's the dude that wrestled with the Lord till morning. You know, I, pretty tough. And Abraham, you know, yeah, she ain't my wife. She's my sister, man. Did that like three times. Because <laughs> he's afraid he's going to get killed over her, you know? <laughs> but he's, he's the patriarch of Israel. <laughs> She must have been a good-looking broad, man, for him to do that. I mean, he had to know that, that king thinks she's hot, man. I, <laughs> she must have been a good-looking broad. Go ahead. Yep, go ahead. <laughs> so I, I do like to give credit where credit's due, right? And that's your wife. Well, you're Thank great, you. but that's not you're what we're great, talking about. You're great, but... <laughs> but, um, you know, what really drew me to religion was our, our conversation about dimensional theory and how that relates to the Bible, right? And something that, you know, I've, I've kind of realized through our Bible studies and going through the Bible myself is that God has the answer for everything. I mean, literally anything, whether it's science, whether it's just daily practices, things of that sort. Like I, 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 I can tell you that there's so many theories out there with science that are determined to be true by you know certain pieces of evidence, but proved to be even truer when you look at it from a Christianity perspective, right? So I, I think that you know, it, like you said, the arrogance of scientists that clouds their vision. If they were, were to open up their mind to, hey, maybe there is a God and maybe he did have a part in this, their answers would be solved, right? Right. And, you know, I, there's a couple times, I one I like to mention a lot was when I was talking to Mike on the garage. And it was right after we talked to him about uh, evolution, things of that sort with him. When we were watching that movie in the RV, that movie called? Uh, Amazing Grace? No, it was uh, God's Not Dead. Right? And he had those presentations. Right. They're kind of going back to, you know, head on about, okay, this, this theory can be disproving religion. Right? Every single time that, that professor said something, the guy was able to prove it in a religious perspective. In, a, in an even more detailed and more sensible way. So... That's where I, I, personally, I find the coolest, right? Because I, I've 
didn't grow up with the Bible, but I grew up with science. I grew up with things like that. And when I see that correlation, it just draws me in closer. Well, there, there's that transformation I'm talking about the, the, towards towards Jesus Christ. You know, Romans talks about there's uh, how does he say it? Um, quicken your mortal bodies. He's talking about closer you get to God, He will quicken your mortal bodies. Yeah. I don't believe that's just talking about going into immortality. He's telling you that the the more you transform into the likeness of Christ, the more your mortal body is going to awaken to things that we don't even think is normal. There, And you can see that through the gifts of the Spirit that he gives. There's discerning of spirits, there's wisdom, there's different things like that that happen. That quickening of the mortal body is an awareness of those kind of things in your senses. They can be from sensing a person has a demonic spirit when they walks in the room. How does that work? I don't know. But your body becomes quickened to it. In other words, there's a sensitivity inside your mortal body that comes alive to that that gives you knowledge that this person has this evil spirit. It may be even through a sign in your body somehow. Uh, maybe, maybe if you have uh, some angel of light, uh, a person that, that appearing as an angel of light who's maybe a, a false prophet, maybe he'll start speaking and it sounds real good and all of a sudden maybe, you know, and this, I'm just giving an example, maybe, maybe your ear will get hot and like you're wanting to turn off. Maybe that's God showing you, hey, this guy's full of crap. Really pay attention. He's going to awaken our bodies up to these kind of things that normal people have no clue about. You know, in the, in the Old Testament, one of the things they would do in a captured king is they'd cut their thumb off. The thumb was a sign of authority. So maybe you'll get some kind of sign in your thumb. Maybe an aching or a twitching. I, I don't know. I'm just giving an example. We can't limit God. He starts quickening this mortal body. He might start bringing things that are alive that you're going, and, and he'll teach it to you. Like the demonic person walking in. Maybe, you've, maybe you get goosebumps down the middle of your spine or something, you know. Maybe you get a cold sweat. Maybe it happens one time, you go, that was weird. And then... uh. Come to find out this guy's demon-possessed, and then two months later, same situation. Pretty soon you start putting two and two together. The Lord's training you. He's showing you, hey, I'm telling you, I'm showing you how this manifests. I'm giving you a little nudge with the Holy Spirit here. It's not always just going to be a voice popping into your head. You're going to be awakened to, to the spiritual realm. And believe me, there's crap going on on the devil's side of that stuff, all clairvoyancy and stuff like that all the time. Some of those seances and stuff, they're getting real real answers from, from the devil and some of that stuff. Who knows? So it's real easy to get off track and get into that crap too. So you always have to, you always have to focus on the Lord, man. And, and like I said, pay attention to your foundation. 
If you pay attention to your foundation, you will never go wrong. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's one. He gives another thing in there talking about, he says, by two or three witnesses, all things are confirmed. So somebody starts giving you some off-the-wall thing. If you can't find it two or three other places in Scripture, don't pay attention to it. Or if you read some Scripture, and this one thing is contrary to everything else you're reading, leave it alone. Chalk it up to maybe a translation error. Some more research needs done. It's easy. Leave it alone. By two or three witnesses, that's what you stand on. If somebody says, the Lord says this about you, you need to do this, fine. You don't do anything about it unless somebody else, totally removed from that situation, tells you the same thing. Now you got two things. And then maybe in your spirit, it's just kind of confirmation anyway. So now you've got three confirmations. Now you can act on it. You don't do it because one person says they're a prophet and tells you to go jump off a bridge, you know, by two or three witnesses. And the third thing is, that is the infallible Word of God. That's the inspired Word of God. If you stand on those th three things, you will never go wrong. You can shut every conversation off. Somebody starts giving you your opinion and it's not Bible-based, you say, no. I'm sorry, I don't want to be rude, but that has no place with me. Unless you can bring the scripture into it, it has no place with me. And when somebody starts talking about God loves everybody, blah, 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 and they're painting this pic pretty picture of Jesus and how he's just, did, just say, well, wait a minute. You believe Jesus is God, right? Yes, I do. Well, the Bible said he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So evidently he doesn't love everybody or he wouldn't have killed them by the thousands before. So you're going to have to come at me with something else there scripturally based because what you're saying has nothing to do with scripture. I know you don't like it and it doesn't make you feel good all over, but the God I read about in here, yes, he's a loving God, but he's also doesn't put up with crap and sometimes he kills people, thousands at a time even. So unless you can work that in there some way from scripture, you're unscriptural and I don't want to hear it. Plain and simple. They get mad at you, they get mad at you. They got, they, Jesus said they're going to. They're going to hate you, man. He said they hate me. They hate me and they're going to hate you because I'm sending you. Don't lose sleep over it. Just go on about your business. Preach the truth. Don't deviate from it and you're going to be fine. And if they don't want to hear the truth, don't beat them over the head with it. Just go on to the next one. The Lord says, don't cast your pearls before swine. In other words, don't sit there and try to win everybody over because they disagree with it. Just go on to the next one. We're seeking the, the body of Christ. We're seeking the remnant that's going to come forth and free this earth. Subdue Satan under the heel. That's what we're after. The rest of them are irrelevant. Don't waste your time on it because that's all it is, is a waste of time. Time is too short to be wasting it on crap like that. If they're not going to indulge the scriptures, then they're a waste of time. And that's it. Good job. You stirred up all kinds of crap. Yeah. <laughs> but that's why I want you guys to participate like this. The same thing with Joe and Billy. It makes you guys get in there and do what I do all the time.
It, it's harder than you think, but what's cool about it is, is it exposes things about you that you didn't know. And that's what God wanted to deal with you. He's wanting to, he wants you to get to the next level. He didn't want you stagnant. What's he say about the church of Laodicea? He can't stand them because they're lukewarm. He'd rather you be hot or cold than to be lukewarm. I can't stand it in my mouth. All right. To me, 
That was that was pretty pure. <clears throat> no stage, no lights. I doubt that there was a much much rehearsal before that. To me, that was just this group worshiping God. And I think there's more more power in that than any great choir and in the lights and all that good stuff. I, that's just people worshiping God. That's what it's about. And I think that's where this group and other groups like this, especially in the time we live, is it's where it's going to end up. That's where it started. That right there is where the church started. In Acts, that's where that's where church was. Um, you know, there's all kinds of arguments. Well, they had to they had to do it that way, and well, maybe. <clears throat> the point is, they did do it that way, and God met them, and they changed the world. The Lord said, uh, basically, be uh, be joyful, be happy, little flock, because it's God's pleasure to give you the kingdom. <coughs> so, that being said, that there's so much in, involved with that, just like I, I've been having these other guys, these young men, bring the word. They've never done that before. But when they when they when they brought a lesson, it was from their heart. They poured they poured themselves into that. <clears throat> and I think that's missing a lot. Um, it, talking about the scriptures and and these guys all like, well, how do you do it? You know, how, how do you do? Go look for a. A sermon or a lesson, I said, you just let the Lord lead you, you know. And and I, I told him, I said, there's there's basically three criteria. Uh, first of all, Hebrews thirteen eight. Somebody read that real quick. Uh -huh. If you use these guidelines, whether you're looking to read the scripture or you're listening to somebody teach you, if you keep these three guidelines in in fact. In your mind, you will never grow. You'll never be deceived. You'll never grow wrong. You will embrace God. I guarantee it. Hebrews what? Thirteen eight. I got it. Thirteen eight. <laughs> <laughs> Joey, nice try, buddy. She's still looking. I got it. Okay. <laughs> Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. That's the first thing. Anytime you read the Scripture, always keep that in your mind. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But that could also translate to the Lord Himself. Right. Yesterday, today. That's that's right because we don't see an incarnation of Jesus till He's born. Right. But we see glimpses of Him with Abraham. We see glimpses of Him in the cloud, the fire, the burning bush, the, the whole right. nine yards. All of it. And. And God is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That is God. Jesus is, in fact, God. If you look at all his attributes yesterday, today, you will see those same things. Hebrews 13.8. 13.8. Correct. Forever. So, 
if you hear somebody portraying Jesus all in a certain way, and you read about different movings of God in other places in the Scripture, you have got to realize He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is to be feared. It says the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. It also says he, he loves. He, he does all those kind of things. But He is at all those things. All you've got to do is read everything God did, said, and spoke. Nothing changes about Him. His attributes never change. They are always the same. So if you start leaning one way, because you're persuaded by, by a sermon or whatever, just put the brakes on and get back in the Scriptures. And look at the totality of God. He is a wrathful God. He's a vengeful God. He's a loving God. He wants to give you the kingdom, God. He is all those things. Don't make an image of Him in your own mind that is real comfortable. One that says, hey, I have nothing to worry about. Jesus loves everybody. And have only that image in your mind because then you don't have the fear of God in there as well. You've got to understand, he says, pray that you're part of the first resurrection. Why is that? Because there's two resurrections. If you're not part of the first resurrection, you're part of the second resurrection, which means you're going to be judged and sent to hell. So understand God. I, I, I don't say that to make you scared of God. But I say that for you to understand that He is not always portrayed in the totality of who He is. You do have to fear Him. He said, don't fear man who can kill the body. You fear God who can, who can kill the body and send the spirit and soul to hell. That's what He says. That's the same God. Just because you say the sinner's prayer doesn't mean you're in like Flynn. you got to read the whole gospel. Another thing is, is, is the word itself. So, somebody read 2 Timothy 3, 15 and 16. And while there's, someone's looking that up, somebody else find Luke 24, 44, and 45. 2 Timothy what? 3, 15, and 16. Luke 24, 44, and 45. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, 15, and 16. 15 and 16 says, And that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through the faith which is in Jesus Christ. All scripture is inspired by God and beneficial for teaching for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness. Jesus was the same yesterday, today, and forever. Always keep that in your mind. And always believe that this is the inspired Word of God. Not just portions of it. Don't argue that, well, man wrote it. If you start going down that road, I don't know why you even are a Christian. You're using... Human logic and reasoning. That's not, that's not what God's about. You, you believe this is the inspired word of God, period. And you're going to be fine. Someone read Luke 24, 44, 45. Now he said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms 
must be fulfilled. And he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And then he opened up their mind to understand the scriptures. In other words, some people can read this and, and not understand it. Probably because they're not looking at this as inspired word of God, for one. Uh, Matthew 4.4. 4. And while you're looking that up, somebody uh, read John, I mean, go to John 14, 26. So Matthew 4, 4, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And, and there it is again, that there's just an emphasis on the scriptures of being the word of God. And right, right there he said, hey, you, you just, you can't live on bread alone. You have to digest this word. It's living, it's powerful. It's, it's your saving grace. It's your, it's your revelation of God. It's who He is. That's, that's where you find Him. Go ahead and uh, someone finish with uh, John 14, 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all the things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. He's sending out, sending out the apostles and He said, I'm giving you the Spirit. He's the teacher. We too often put our limitations on God. We do that. When he's wanting to pour out his omnipotence on us, we're wanting to give him our limitations. We're wanting to argue like Moses. Not me. I can't even talk. Don't send me. We're like Gideon when he says, you're my, my man of valor. He's going, who, who, no, 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 I'm not the man of valor. We always want to put our limitations on God. And he's wanting to give us the kingdom. He's wanting to un unload all that he is and give it to us. Remember, I've said it a thousand times. Jesus says, I'm going to the Father. It's better for me to go. Because I need to pour my spirit out on you. The same spirit that, that raised me from the dead, I need to give to you. So that you can do the things that I did and greater things. Nope, I'm not doing greater. I'm not even going to raise the dead, for crying out loud. Much less greater, whatever that is. I'm a sinner. Uh, I blew it today right out in the yard. I hit my finger and I cussed for ten minutes. Can't use me, God. See what I mean? We use those excuses all the time. We let other people put those that condemnation on us and let us not press into God. Doesn't I'm not saying don't repent for your sin. Of course, repent for your sin and work on that. But don't let that be a limitation of who God wants you to be in this earth. Don't let that be a, a limitation on you praying over the dead, praying over the sick, releasing all these things in the earth that He did. We have no excuse. We only give him our limitations. We give him our excuses when he said there is no excuses because I've given you the same spirit that I gave my son that raised him from the dead. You have no excuse. I know you're a louse. I know you fall short every day. I still chose you to be a son of God. Act like it. Appropriate my power. Appropriate the things that I did and do them. Jesus came on the scene and he was constantly talking about the kingdom of God. I never hear anybody talk about the kingdom of God. 
<clears throat> we we get in we get in these mindsets that, that just constantly limit us. Me and Joseph had a conversation about Ukraine. Here we're sitting back doing nothing as the United States. But really, we hide under the flag of the United States with everything we do. We let that govern our lives. We don't let the kingdom of God govern our lives. We let the kingdom of the United States govern our lives. And that, that's what was eye-opening, right? It was eye-opening. That you're sitting here thinking that under our, under our, and my mom and I got under it that night. Yeah, I'm, I'm, sitting, I'm sitting here thinking, founded on Christian principles, the United States. We got a flag of freedom. Why are we not doing anything? And I don't know about it. Like, I, I, I don't get it. I'm, I'm, I'm watching horrible things happen by Russia. I'm watching, I'm watching a first world country versus a first world, which, which we have not seen in our lifetimes. And I don't understand why we are not doing anything. And then it dawned on me after I talked to Uncle Bill that, that we are no longer a nation founded on Christian principles, but more of a nation that accepts tolerance. But it's more than just democracy. It's, it's if you're gay or homosexual or trans, we accept you. We, we bring you in. Buddhist, Hindu, we accept you. We bring you in. When we first started, we were not about that. We were a country of moral and ethical reasons. We're not that anymore. We want friends. We want to be liked. But to be liked is weakness. The weaker man is liked. And we, we talked for 45 minutes on this. And it was, it was, that was my opening eye, was, was the fact that we, we, we no longer stand for what Christ is. And we fall for what we believe is right. See, and, and, and we're not saying that every founding father was an upstanding citizen. It's just like I talked about earlier. We can talk about all their, their faults all day long. But we can go right back to Abraham and every one of them and find their faults as well. And God said, I reckon uh, to Abraham as righteous. He's my friend. He talked to Abraham as his friend. Right. David had one of his main generals basically killed so he could get his wife. And what does God say about David? He's a man after my own heart. We see tons and tons of errors in all the patriarchs. But you know what? What I do see in those guys is they didn't let those limitations keep them from the presence of God. They kept pressing in in spite of who they were. And that made them better because God bestowed his presence on them and he, and he enlightened them as they walked through their lives. They were none of them perfect. But one thing about every single one of them, they had the faith of God. They never, ever not trusted God. They believed that he was the creator of all things, period. No matter how selfish they were, no matter how often they failed. You know, Gideon, the same thing. I don't want this. I don't want any part of this. So God throws them in this mix he's getting ready to go, go fight. I forget who it was. And I forget how many people he started out with. 10,000, maybe more. I don't know. And God kept on, no, 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 too many, too many, too many. He ends up with 300 dudes. 
And here he's not even wanting this cloak. He doesn't even want, I don't want this commandership. And God said, no, you're my man of valor. And yet, that's what he's after. We got to quit limiting ourselves on who we are. This room could be full of prophets and prophetess, people who speak the word of God in spite of who you are, in spite of your sin for that day. Get on your knees. Truly repent like David did. David was on his knees. He took the consequences of losing his son. He didn't blame God for it. He took, the, he took on the responsibility of that consequence. He never not put God first. Even, even in that kind of a situation. You know, Peter, the Lord says, who do they say I am? And there's some singer Elijah, Jeremiah, some of the, one of the prophets of old. Who do you say I am? You're the Christ. <coughs> this is just a fisherman. Just a fisherman. And what was, what was God's response to him? Blessed are you. Because flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. God did. He ends up betraying Christ three times. Not too much longer after that. But he ended up being a pillar of the church as well. He was never perfect all the way through there. But he loved Christ. And he opened his heart. He heard God speak. And he moved in those situations. Paul, same way. I mean, he, he's holding the coats. The ones throwing rocks at Stephen to kill him. You want to talk? He could have thrown those limitations on God all day long. No, nope, they're never going to listen to me for crying out loud. They saw me. I was the head honcho rounding your, patri uh, your, your, your men of God up and killing them three months ago. No freaking way can I be that guy. And he's the apostle to the Gentiles. Writes two-thirds of the New Testament. <clears throat> That's why I love this room. Because I can talk to each and every one of you and tell you that you're sons and daughters of God and you have no limitations because you have been given the Holy Spirit, which, which makes you someone you're not. You can, you can die to your old self and be transformed into an image that God has for you, not an image that you have for yourself. There, there, Paul talks about the, the mortal body being quickened. It coming, it's coming alive to things where you hear the voice of God, you start learning the voice of God, you start feeling things in your body that normal people won't because he's giving you this empowerment. I don't know what all that will look like. But I know it talks about Peter. They laid the sick on the street so his shadow might fall upon them and they'd be healed. I don't believe that was necessarily the shadow. I don't ever remember anyone's shadow doing anything. It was probably his spirit, his aura, if you will, falling on these people, infused with the presence of God, infused with the deity of God. Probably his even DNA, he had been transformed 
to that close of a walk with God that as he passed by somebody, his presence would fall on you and heal you. These are things that we haven't seen for 2,000 years. Jesus, when he healed the sick, he would slip off into the crowd. Not worse the cameras. Benny Hinn. You know, I, I mean, that's who real men of God were. They were compassionate for the people. They had desire for the people to be set free. They didn't want any television time. Paul refused to take money from the Corinthians because they've got to a point where, the, yeah, Paul's words are pretty heavy. We kind of like Apollos. He preaches a little bit better. Paul, he, he doesn't speak real well. He kind of hits hard. He didn't want them taking any credit for him at all. He says, I sold from the other churches to come and minister to you. That's who Paul was. That's who the apostles were. They weren't on TBN. They just were out doing God's work. And that's, that's what we should be after. I've got tons of notes and I'm totally off base again. But, oh, well. <laughs> um, you know, the, the Pharisees, they wanted the sign. It's, it's, nothing's changed. It's going to be the same way today. People are going to want to see the signs, and, and they're going to be given the signs. There's going to be false, prof, uh, false prophets, false apostles, false Christ, going to be doing wonders, and people are going to be flocking to them. Pharisees went to Jesus, where's your signs? What, what, what's, what, what's the sign of you being Christ? He goes, you perverse generation, all you're looking for is a sign. But you're going to get a sign, and that's going to be the sign of Jonah. And they're totally idiots. They say, well, what the heck do you mean by that? Going to be in the ground three days and three, three nights and resurrected. That's what he told them. That's going to be your sign. And he's, he's turning the world upside down. He preaches, he heals, he slips away. He, he, tell, he, tell, he tells one guy, don't tell one single soul I did this. Here's the Son of God, not one any honor at all. He just had compassion for the people. He wanted, he wanted them to be relieved from, from their distress. Those kind of things. It, and he did it so cool. The guy at the pool, been sitting there for I don't know how many years, trying to get in the water. He just walked going to some big lathering speech. Just pick up your bed, man. Pick up your bed and go. And he did it on the Sabbath. So they're looking to kill him for that. Okay, hey, what kind of thinking is that? You told him to pick up your bed. That's against the Sabbath. He's been a paralytic his whole life, and you're going to, come on. Restrain at way too many gnats. We laugh at that, but how many times do we do that in our own lives? We judge somebody because they didn't do it the way you thought they should. You know how? How many John the Baptists do you think could stand behind a pulpit in any church in town? Really, you look at the description of John the Baptist preaching salvation, preparing the way for the king, baptizing in a in a old dirty Jordan River. It didn't quite fit the bill. No seminary, nah, speech is probably pretty good. He yells at the government officials. Calls them out on their crap. 
eventually cut his head off for it. Those are the kind of scoundrels that the Lord is looking for. He says, he gives a parable. Finally, he gets, he gets fed up at the wedding feast. Go out and get the blame, the lame, and the halt and bring them to my party. These other people are too good for me anyway. That's basically what they were telling him. We're too busy. You go have your own party. And he says, go get the blind, the halt, the lame. Nothing changes. Jesus, remember what I said. If you always keep that in your mind, the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he was looking for the blind and the halt, the dregs of the earth then, he's probably going to be doing the same now. That's who he's going to choose. He's going to choose the weak to confound the wise. Again, because we put limitations on God, we don't have to press in and let him anoint us to let him make us those people in this earth. It has nothing to do with him. It's us. We do it. Because of our sin, because of our laziness, whatever the case may be, we put the limitations on God himself, not us. And... Whoever wants to come back next week, got a little homework assignment for you. I want you to search the scriptures and find out not if I pay tithes, I'll get blessed from now till eternity. Not if I say this or that, I'll be accepted. But go in there and look and see what God desires. See what He wants from us. And maybe while you're doing that, do another little do one chart here of what he desires, what he's seeking from us, and do another chart of what he abhors, what he what he loathes. And we'll discuss that next week. I bet you'll be surprised that, that oftentimes we read this scripture about how we can get through our life better instead of reading the scriptures of how can I please you, God. Remember, seek ye first the kingdom, and the rest will be added to you. We too often live our life thinking about what will be added to us instead of seeking the kingdom first and his righteousness. Well, so, I just to be a bit more specific. So, <clears throat> the Bible states God is looking for a man after his own heart. Mm-hmm. Are you looking for specifics of what that heart entails? I, I want you to see what God desires from his people. What what does what does he want from us? Okay. There may be there may be more than one thing, but there's one specific thing that, that kind of repeats itself through the scriptures that I'm after. But you you might find more than one. Is it repentance? I got one right here for you. It says, uh, Jesus is Lord. And believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. Okay, it doesn't say believe in your heart or go to church or pay your tithe. It doesn't say any of that. It says believe in your heart, and you will be saved. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't say and, and it, all these prerequisites we put on ourselves. It doesn't say baptism. It doesn't say any of that. And it, and it doesn't say that we shouldn't pursue those things. Right. But... But, but but then again, you know, he, 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 a lot of times even with tithe, it's, it's we do it so that we'll get tenfold. You know what I mean? That's always kind of in the back of our mind. Right. 
do it, you will but, be blessed. But get in there and see what God really wants from us. Yeah, he wants us to believe, for sure. But I think there's some specific things that he really wants from us. We can, we, and we can see it in images. Uh, in Revelations, there's some images that I think you'll find that pleases God. Um, and you'll, you'll definitely find things that displease him. I think he says one time, I have abhorred your sacrifices. Because they have made that so front and center they forgot that those sacrifices were prophetic of his son bringing the ultimate sacrifice. That's what they were about. He says, you stink of your sacrifices. I hate it. I only gave you those to be, prof to be prophetic of what my son was going to do, ultimately. That's what these were for. But they were hell-bent on making sure they made all their sacrifices. They were patting themselves on the back, crap. And we're saying, that's gross to me. I, I never even wanted this. You know, there were thousands of years before they came out of Israel. Thousands of years where men walked before God honorably. Without circumcision, without one sacrifice, with all those kind of things. It's just, it, it just goes right to what Sean was talking about. There was no stipulation. It was just belief in God. Faith in God. It's trust. Enoch walked with God thousands of years before Abraham ever came on scene. Which he's still doing to this day. Faith is, is something that, that we need to grab a hold of and it is wrapped solely around plain and simple belief that that is the God of the universe who created it out of nothing. In Hebrews it says that. Where did, what was that at? Hebrews, oh, Hebrews 11.3. Someone read that real quick. There's a translation error there. I'll tell you after you read it. But it also talks about it in Psalms, Uncle Bill. It, say, it says, trust in the Lord your God and he will give you the desires of your heart. Right. It also states but, that in Psalms. But I wonder what, 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 what do you think he, most people think about when they say desires of your heart? Wants. Right. Yeah, wants. But I got a feeling when you're tuned in with God, your desire. Or his desire. Yeah, there you his, go. His there desire. you go. That's right. your hidden matter. But, but that's what it comes down to. Right. Your heart, the trust in the Lord, is no longer the trust you have in him, but the trust he has in you. The desires of your heart are not like yours, but his. Exactly. And then at that point in time, you'll be able to do his works, and then you will become like Christ. Right. At that point. Hebrews 11 3. Somebody got that one? You got it? By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. Okay, translation error in there is worlds. Is actually ages. The ages were prepared by the word of God. And he did though that those things out of nothing. See, we put the limitations of God. He prepares everything, everything that we see and touch, he made out of nothing. If we truly believe that, how can we ever limit him on anything in our lives? There should be no limitations upon what we can do as children of God. And then again, there's this fine line again. If you start seeking the stuff, start seeking the laying on the hands and healing so I can do this because I prayed for this person, 
you're missing the boat. The root is the compassion and the love for your brothers and sisters that you want to see them released and see them free from pain, misery. You want, you want to, you, you, you become more elated when you see a Joseph come into a prophetic ministry than yourself. Because you can see the word of God coming from him and, and, and what kind of things might be released through that word that's given. When, uh, when I've been around this person who's been a, in a wheelchair for their whole life, it's not so I can get patted on my back. It's just to watch him leap with joy. And the stories he's going to tell and the people that might be saved by, by his testimony. That's what it's about. And, it, and it's, it's a hard thing because we have to live our life. We have to work. We have to provide for our families. We have to bring the income in to pay the mortgages and all those things just to, to, to sustain life. It becomes so busy. We become so enthralled in that that our, all of our desires become really tunnel visioned and aren't focused on God. But if we could ever get that vision on God Himself, that our desires are to please Him, that our life will be so joyful and peaceful, no matter where you're at, no matter what you have, that you won't even be able to explain it. You could be living out of a car somewhere. You could be living out in the desert like Elijah. You know, you won't even care. You'll be so happy because you know the voice of God. That's your communion every day. That's your walking in the Garden of Eden. That's what was taken from us. You understand that? Adam was there. You don't understand this. Adam was there and witnessed most of the creation. And that can be another Bible study. But he didn't come on the... He didn't come at the sixth day. He was around on the third day. And I can show you that in scriptures. So he was witnessing some of the creation of the whole world. Remember the Lord passed all the animals in front of him. Let him name them. And none of them were suitable for companionship. So he, so he made Eve. He was around seeing stuff. He was walking with God and talking with God like a friend. That was the great curse. Not that he died. The curse was that he was removed from the presence of God. That daily walk. Wow. That's going to be restored through Jesus Christ. He's the firstborn among many brethren. That's what Paul says. He's the first new species. He is totally man and totally God combined. He has the DNA of the creation of Adam infused with the DNA of God that makes him immortal. Paul says, we don't know what that's going to look like until we see him face to face, and then we'll know because we'll be like him. Do you understand how awesome a God that is? That he has paved the way for us to become like him? Now, don't misconstrue what I'm saying. I'm not saying we're ever going to be God or above God. But I'm saying, it does, Scripture does say that he's the firstborn among many brethren. He's the head of his body. But we are going to transform into his very image. And we're going to live in eternity with him. He is the first one, the first one in that species. 
that species isn't just going to be a damic. It's going to be a damic with the infusion of God in, inside you as well. That won't prevent you. Will prevent you from dying. You'll live in immortality. But I believe it's so much more than that. I believe he's, he'll be giving us a glimpse into his creativity. That's why the word, the spoken word, is so powerful. That's why prophecy is so powerful. Because when you get in tune with God and you speak the word of God, you have God attached to that word. Remember, he spoke into existence the whole universe out of nothing. So if he attaches himself to your word and it's in tune with his desire and his instruction, you speak it, things will happen. No limitations. That's basically what this whole message is about, is limitations. Quit putting limitations on God. He is not putting limitations on us. He has given us all of it. He has given us his authority in this earth. The whole nine, guys. Doing the stuff, the healing, the sick, the blind, all those kind of things are going to happen and they're going to be more prevalent in the end time than they were in the New Testament time. It has to. The culmination of the age is coming. His people are going to move beyond where they were in Acts 2. There's, there's, no, there's nothing that says it can't be us. I believe he is waiting for a people to grab a hold of that thing and run with it. To throw the limitations off and say, okay, now we can be like God. He has given us these things. Not for our own comforts, not for our own desires, but we have finally got a hold of what he wants us to do in this earth and we're going to do it. We're going to release his power. Principalities and powers are going to fall. I want to close tonight with prayer about Ukraine. And not over the government of Ukraine, but over the God-believing people that are in that country. That's what he is after. He wants to protect his own. I could care less about their government, what their intentions are, but that small group of Christians over there who have the faith in God who are getting bombarded by the enemy right now in more ways than one need them. The protection of our prayers. And we can be more powerful in this room by a prayer like that than Biden and his crap ever thought about being. That's all a joke anyway. So... Real quick, let's, let's just pray over those people and uh, we'll go on to stage two, whatever that is. Father, I just ask that you put your hand on your believers in Ukraine. You protect them. You put your shield around them. Because it's their spoken word, it's their prayers that's going to change their nation. And we stand with them as a body united. We just ask that you just put your shield around them and as they pray that things are opened up, that the soldiers fall about them and they are not affected in any way. That they walk out of there as glorious. Your little flock, that you, your pleasure is to give them the kingdom. They're our brothers and sisters. They are who we pray for. We just ask that you just anoint them and if they just speak your word of God and you just shake that nation to the ground, you shake Russia to the ground by their prayers. In your name, amen. amen. Anybody else? I ranted and ranted, so <laughs> somebody...
Put your two cents in. Come on. <laughs> If I if I yeah, don't be in a fighter, guys. Uh, yeah. If I'd have just said Melinda! If I'd have just read more, if I'd have just done this, if I'd have done that, just do it. Please God. As much as you can. All right. To touch off you, I think that's that's one of the awesome points about God is he doesn't look at the fighters. He looks at the you do. You can have a life of if I would have, if I could have, if I should have. But instead of looking at that, he looks at when you do. Mm -hmm. When you do it. You have to. Like I said, don't be. And I think that's going to be one that caught at that moment. And you just say, But I also think that touches. But I think it touches up on what Uncle Bill says that, you know, this isn't the only thing happening in the United States, in the world. This room is happening everywhere. And that to pray for a room like this happening in Kiev. Like, I guarantee you in Ukraine right now, this is the only way it can happen. Absolutely. And to pray for something like like them going through what they're going Because I guarantee it, in our lifetime, none of us will experience it. Probably ever. Landlocked by water. You have allies on both north and south. It'll, it'll never happen. But to pray for a country and their people doing what we're doing, I think is... I think it's immaculate. Knowing what God is doing and reinforcing His word for them, there couldn't be anything greater happening for that country, for those specific people. Because I guarantee you, what they're doing and how they're doing it, they feel alone. Mm -hmm. They feel like they're the only group sitting in the living room on a Saturday evening with bombs going off around them, asking God for salvation and to know that they're not alone. Because the, the conversation that we had off the bill was, was, why aren't we doing anything, right? We, we are a country that, that reinforces freedom, and we're a country that reinforces the word of God, and we're, we're supposed to be the salvation for the world. Why aren't we doing anything? But the salvation no longer comes from us, and it really never has. God gave us the gift of salvation we, when we first became a country because we were not doing this for a people reason, but we did this for a godly reason, and we no longer have that reason. The reasoning behind our country is no longer founded on Christian principles. Well, there, there were a lot of a lot of the immigrants that first came to this country because of religious persecution, and they wanted the freedom to worship like they, they wanted to. Right. Those kind of things, it, it lined up with kingdom principles. Sure. But those kingdom principles have fallen off. Turn into, turn into worldly wants. Principles turned into what I want, what what you deem is right, versus what is right. And here we are in 2021, not able to protect for moral or religious reasons, because we no longer have the ground to stand on. We no longer have Jesus at, at our back. We, we don't have that anymore. Well, you know, they, they were meeting in, was it Mark's 
mother's house. I think it was. I think it was Mark's mother's house. James had just been beheaded. Right. And Peter was in prison. Peter and, was it Peter and John in prison? Or was it Peter and Paul? No, it wasn't Paul. I think it's Peter and John. But anyway, they were in prison, probably thinking their heads were going next. And it took probably the death of James for these people to get their head on, and they were in intercession and prayer for Peter. The angel came, blew the doors open of the jail, they walked free, knocked on the door, and when they answered the door, they thought it was by the spirits, it wasn't these guys. But that's how true prayer and the power of God can intervene. Just like these people in Ukraine, us praying for them, them interceding. God can send the angels to give them protection and, and keep them from any of those kind of things. We've got to believe that. We've got to believe that's not Harry Potter, that that is real. And if we believe that's real, then we need to act like it and pray for those kind of people. Not wait till we hear of people being beheaded like James before we get in the game. Do you have something for next Saturday, Uncle Bill? I do not. Well, then I would like to talk about prayer. Okay. So I'm going to do a little bit of research this Saturday, this weekend for next Saturday. I would like to talk about prayer. Okay. Intercession. But but I want to talk about the basics before an intercession, right? I, what is prayer? How do you pray? Because you know a lot of us sit there and ask God for wants, right? And the Lord says you pray enough, you'll get it, right? But it's. Prayer shouldn't be about wants. It should be about His desire. Instead of our wants, it's about what He wants for us. And we don't pray like that. Well, see, and oftentimes, because we put limitations on God, we don't understand how He can really enlighten us. Right. And I'm not talking about just a voice out of the air saying, this is God, do this. I mean, he can start giving you impressions in your mind that you start to recognize right. as God. Well, absolutely. And again, oh, and I didn't even read the, the other part of the, of the criteria for stating the scripture about two or three witnesses. He said, by two or three witnesses, all things are confirmed. He says, if you have, it, don't, don't, don't come with an accusation against an elder unless you come with two or three witnesses about the elder. So he lays that principle down. So when you read the scriptures... You know, how many times have you heard somebody quote a scripture? One scripture. Two or three times. Well, I mean, just the one scripture. Just just to beat you up with it. Right. Well, if you would have made them establish that with two or three witnesses, two or three different scriptures to base that on, for one thing, you wouldn't be coming to me by yourself telling me this crap. You'd be bringing two or three others because that's what the Word of God says. And... And if you can't give me two or three scriptures that build a foundation for that accusation or whatever you're trying to tell me, then I'm not listening to it. Are you talking about people that like misuse scripture? Yeah, as? yeah, okay. yeah. And or, or um, even even prophecies. Uh, some person says, "Hey, the Lord's showing me this about you." That doesn't mean you take that as God's word. A lot of times, if they tell you that the Lord and it's true, the Lord will have already give, been giving you that impression for one. So maybe you got two now. That person and what you think the Lord's already—you're allowed to have one more confirmation from somebody who's 
completely removed from that situation. Now you have a three witnesses, basically, right there. Now you can stand on that as God's Word. It, it's just a checks and balance. God isn't stupid. He put it all in there. The Lord says, when two or three gathered in my name, I am there also. The same kind of thing. There's that confirmation that two or three, when, when two or three of us show up and agree, then we can move the world. These are all just principles that we just neglect time and time again. We need to be using those for the advancement of the kingdom of God. You know, the Lord came talking about the kingdom all through his ministry. We never talk about the kingdom anymore. We talk about the kingdom of the United States, but we don't talk about the kingdom of God. You know, the kingdom of God is not divided into 800 to 2,000 denominations. This is the church. That's the kingdom of God. So. Anything else? Squirt? Anything? No? <laughs> Very good. You guys hired? Dude, I applied. I never heard anything back. When did you apply? Last summer. Yeah, 